Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. Sorry, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. I'll begin reading from Ephesians 4, verse 1. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who he who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human coming, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. May we go to our God and ask for his blessings on the reading and also the preaching of his holy word. Our Lord God, we thank you, Father, for your word that reminds us that you are the one who established your church, that you are the one who appointed its rulers. Father, we pray that we, your people, would desire to be equipped, to be perfected, to be built up so that we might serve you. Father, we pray that we would desire to be diligent in what you have called us to, that we would uh, desire the regular intake of your word, that we would hear it, that we would receive it with gladness, that we would test from your word what is said, and that we would uh, desire that it would bear fruit in our lives. Father, we pray that you would help us to cast off complacency, help us to cast off rebellion and selfishness, but instead that we would delight to see your church thrive. Father, you call us to thrive in our lives. And Father, we pray that even as we are thriving, that we would desire the church would thrive. Father, we pray that your people would be built up and edified, that marriages, relationships, that uh, all things in their lives would be blessed by your hand, even as they see that you have real and proper jurisdiction in every sphere of our lives. Father, we pray that your lordship would be manifested in every sphere that we have. Father, we pray that if any do not know you, we pray for the mighty work of your spirit, for the gospel to go forward with power, to do the work of transformation. 
We thank you for your love for us, and we pray that we might exalt our Savior, Jesus Christ. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. I have a friend who is a minister, and he used to be uh, a fitness coach. And when I heard about that in his past, I saw such close ties between being a minister, being a pastor, and being a fitness coach. You realize the ties are so great, right? One is a spiritual fitness coach. The other is a physical fitness coach. So he talks about how these people, he, they come into the, to the gym, right? And, uh, and he asks, well, what would you like to work on? And, and you know, oftentimes, they, I don't want to work on anything. I, I just want to sit in the corner here and, and hop on my phone. My, my wife told me to come here and, and work out for an hour. So I was hoping I could just stay here in the corner, surf, surf my phone. And he says, no, that's, that's not going to work, right? And, and many of these things have to do with mindset. The mindset of, I don't need to change. Or the mindset of, I don't want to change. You realize, in the Christian life, <clears throat> it's many of the same things. No, that's not the way I've done it. You're right. It's not the way you've done it. But your home is Christ's home, right? Meaning Christ has jurisdiction over your home. There's new standards that you have to follow. Hey, this is what I grew up eating all my life. Well, you realize the intake that you have affects your output. Well, what do you mean? So, well, if you eat junk food, then you're going to have junk in your life. So also, you see here with the, the spiritual inputs, hey, you realize watching, uh, you know, watching bad things on the internet or on the screen, hey, that's going to have a negative effect on your life. Whatever those bad things are, right? Garbage in, well, garbage, garbage out, right? So here, you think about how, in many ways, People don't like to change. That's understood, that's understood fairly well. People don't want to change, right? People like to remain as they are. Why won't you just leave me alone, right? That's often the, the sense that, that Wayne and I get of, hey, people just want, hey, can you go pick on somebody else? We just want to remain as we are. Can't, can't you find someone who's breaking the law seriously? And, and, and here, you think about it. Trying to move people along. That's the description, moving people along. Well, what is the next step that we can get them to, to have a more consistent time input of God's word, more consistent time of prayer, right? Loving the right things, more regular in worship, right? This is one of the big things that we come across, more regular time in worship of the intake of God's word, being among God's people and having a love uh, of, of the saints, here, we think about this book of Ephesians. That is such a wonderful book. It's filled with such great truths. <clears throat> the first three chapters, we have the great truths presented of the great indicatives. This is what God has done for you in Christ. This is God the Father's great plans. God the Father sending his son to die on behalf of sinners. God sending the Holy Spirit to redeem and to, to transform his people. Here in chapter 4 of Ephesians, chapter 4 through 6, then we have the transition from what God has done for you to how then should you live for this Lord. And we started off earlier in Ephesians chapter 4 where the great theme was that of unity. 
And with unity, he speaks about diversity in God giving these various gifts. And diversity of the different gifts is not in any way contrary to the unity that God desires among his people. In fact, he explains that these gifts, these spiritual gifts that he gives, diverse spiritual gifts, are all needed within a body to build them up so that we would be complete. Meaning that if everyone were entirely the same, there were complete uniformity, then to achieve unity would be very difficult. And here he goes further in verses 11 to 13 to speak about not only the spiritual gifts, but the gifts of people, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers. And the goal is equipping God's people so that they might be built up and building up the body of Christ. So the truth that we see here in this passage, Ephesians 4, 11 to 13, the gift, uh, sorry, Christ gave officers to the church for the service, maturity, and unity of his church. Christ gave officers to the church for the service, maturity, and unity of his church. We'll look at this in three points. The first is the gift of officers in verse 11. Second, the role of officers in verse 12. <clears throat> and third, the aim of officers in verse 13. So we have the first point in verse 11, the gift of officers. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. So here, Jesus gave spiritual gifts, at least one, to each Christian. Every Christian has at least one spiritual gift, perhaps more. And Jesus did so within the context of his ascension. When he ascended on high, he gave gifts to men. That Jesus, triumphant in being resurrected from the grave, he ascends to heaven to sit at God's right hand. And, and while in the process of doing that, he's giving out gifts to his people. And the gifts were only spiritual gifts, but they were also the servants of the church. The apostles, the prophets, the the uh, evangelists. And here we think about the, the repetition of this statement of Christ's giving, that he gave these gifts. And here in verse 11, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists. So this is a reminder that it's Christ in his generosity that he gives, Christ in his grace that he gives. And that Christ gave them indicates that these men, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, uh, the shepherds and teachers, that they are not self-appointed, right? They didn't appoint themselves, right? You, you think about the very word apostle. Apostle literally means one who is sent, right? So someone, the authority of another, sends uh, somebody else. Jesus says that he was sent of the Father, that Jesus, it wasn't, hey, you know, I'm just going to go take upon myself human flesh. No, he was sent by the Father. And in other words here, when we think about the leaders of the church, they cannot be self-appointed. That they are appointed by God, whether directly for apostles or indirectly through the church, that the church commissions them. Here, we ought to understand this list in verse 11, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, that we have a dichotomy. The first is that of the temporary offices. So the apostles prophets, evangelists, or temporary offices. They, they were there for a certain time, and, and they don't continue. And then you have the more permanent off offices of shepherd, shepherd teachers. So we first look at the apostle. It's one who is sent, and Jesus explains this when he says that he himself was sent by the Father. In fact, 
John chapter 20, verse 21, even as I have been sent, I send you. So Jesus says he was sent by the Father, and then he sends his disciples. Jesus commissioned his disciples in the Great Commission, Matthew 28, that the Great Commission, we often think about that as God commissioning the church, God commissioning every Christian, but specifically it was given to his disciples, the twelve. Right? It was given to these disciples who would then be called apostles because they were sent with the Great Commission. Here we think also of, in Acts, the apostle Paul being sent by the Lord Jesus. That these are direct commissions. This is one of the requirements that an apostle is one who is directly commissioned by Jesus Christ. Nobody else has direct commissions anymore. They only come through the church. So one of the requirements then is that they have a direct commission from Jesus. We, ha we have also the requirement of an apostle that he must be an eyewitness of Jesus Christ after his resurrection. So after Jesus was raised from the dead, that the apostles were those who saw him resurrected. And here we have, uh, we have a definite time limitation right, to who an apostle can be. Meaning that there are no apostles today because people don't live more than about 100 years. And the apostles then, they had to be contemporaries of Jesus because they had to have seen him when he was raised from the dead. We have also that an apostle is one who receives direct revelation from Jesus. The apostle Paul spoke about this very specifically. Galatians 1 Verses 11 and 12. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. So there was direct revelation between Paul, uh, between Jesus and Paul, between Jesus and the rest of, of his uh, apostles. There's also the fourth requirement for an apostle is that he is one who is given the power of attesting miracles. He is given the power of attesting miracles. See, th these are some of the standards that people cannot own up to. If you, if you have someone who shows up saying he's an apostle, right? Hey, what about these attesting miracles? Hebrews 2.4, right? God also testifying with them, both by signs and wonders and by various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will that here we don't have apostles. They don't have the attesting power of miracles. We also have prophets. Now, keep in mind here, he doesn't say the order of prophets and then apostles. He says apostles, then prophets. You ask, well, why is that even significant? Sometimes people think of the usage of prophet here as the Old Testament prophets, right? Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. No, 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 no. These are New Testament prophets. Apostles, prophets. So these are the New Testament prophets, and they were needed during a specific time before the New Testament was finished being written. So the, the apostles were those who taught. They taught with authority, the authority from Jesus. You see also that Christ gave gifts at his ascension, Right? 
So that was well after the time of the Old Testament prophets. So you see the, the, time, the time factor is his ascension. He gave gifts. And some of these were the New Testament prophets. We hear about them, say, in the book of 1 Corinthians, right? That certain gifts uh, people had. They had the gift. And oftentimes people think of prophecy specifically as foretelling, being able to predict the future. But for the most part, we see the primary usage of prophecy was not foretelling, but forthtelling. Foretelling is predicting the future. Forthtelling is the message from God. He, these men and sometimes women were told that some of them were prophetesses, <clears throat> that they spoke the word of God as they received revelation from God. But as you can see, this also comes to an end with the completion of the New Testament. When the canon was closed, right, you have the complete revelation of Old and New Testament as given to us by God. You notice how the book of 1 Corinthians mentions prophets. But then when you start looking at the pastoral epistles, right, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, that these books no longer speak about the role of a prophet within the church, right? Here, the, the instructions given through uh, the Apostle Paul to Timothy and Titus in these books, it's how ought they to conduct themselves, how ought the church to be structured in order, right? How, how one should behave in the church of the living God. But no mention is made of prophets there, right? Here, we, we see something about that. But we have specifically... For those who believe that there is a uh, continuing revelation from God, that God continues to reveal new truths to his people, there is invariably a focus that goes away from his revealed word. So the Old and New Testaments somehow become insufficient. So instead of saying, let us focus on these, the tendency is more so, let's focus on what he's going to reveal to us. And there is a passage in scripture that completely silences this desire. There's a desire to, hey, we want to know about the new things God's going to reveal to us because we don't want to be disciplined and, and, and skilled in understanding and knowing what he has revealed to us. The passage is Luke chapter 16. It's a parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Right? So here, a parable of rich, rich man in, in uh he, he's in the place of torment, and Lazarus is at uh, a place, you know, kind of like the heaven. He's waiting to go to heaven. Or, and, and then this man who's in torment says, hey, but, uh, you know, s send someone to my brothers. I have five brothers, right? And, and uh, if someone were to return from the dead, that they would listen to him. And, and then the conversation goes, Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. How serious of a statement that is. Listen, they have Moses and the prophets. And now we can say they have Moses, the prophets, and the New Testament. And if they won't listen to God's word there, it doesn't matter if someone literally rises from the dead because someone did rise from the dead. That's Jesus. He rose from the dead. And the same message that I'm preaching to you is what the Apostle Paul preached, is what Jesus himself preached, 
right? So if you're not believing me, you're not going to believe him and everyone, anyone who came before him. Those Old Testament prophets spoke of Jesus to come. We're, we're telling you of Jesus who came. And here you think about God's word as God's word, Old and New Testaments. Anyone who rejects those is rejecting God. And, you know, you have great fire bolts and lightning. No. In fact, some churches have the smoke and mirror and fire and lightning, right? It, it doesn't make any difference. It's the word of God. And he who rejects that is rejecting God's authority. Here we think also about these evangelists. Now, someone might ask, well, wait a minute, are you, are you saying this is a temporary office? Are you saying there's people aren't supposed to do evangelism anymore? No, 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 not at all. But there was a temporary office of evangelist. Men like Philip, Acts 21, and men like Timothy, right? 2 Timothy 4, 5, as for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Typically, these evangelists were men who were tied to apostles. They were connected to them, as Timothy was, and they were commissioned by the apostles or by the church to, to establish and build the church. This is what Timothy's role was, was that they're in Ephesus, that Paul preached there. He sent Timothy there, then his, his job was as an evangelist to build the church. Here, today, there are people who are gifted in evangelism. And that's specifically being a witness to those who are, who are in the world, who, who are non-Christians, right? We're called to do this. All of us are called to do this, to bear uh, the good news with others. But here, this is referring to that temporary office. And we have also the permanent offices of the church. And we have the permanent offices being the shepherd teacher. And understanding that the offices of the church, are not, this is not an exhaustive list, right? This is just... The Apostle Paul giving an example of God's gift to the church, spiritual gifts, and then the gifts of people. And here, what we ought to understand as we look at the original language, that this shepherd, teacher, is likely referring to one office, one person. Right? The reason why is because uh, there's, there's the article between for, before all of the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and, and then it's... The shepherds, it's not the shepherds and the teachers, it's the shepherds and teachers, right? Oftentimes you, you hear ministers who write books and they're, they're called a pastor-teacher, right? Because these gifts are often connected. Right? You think about how uh, God calls people to shepherd the flock. First Peter, First Peter 5, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. So here, the shepherd is one who is supposed to be an example to the flock. Meaning that he who is supposed to rule cannot rule. In fact, he must not rule unless he is going to be an example to the flock. Right? If he is one who says... Do as I say, not as I do. He is never going to be a good shepherd. He has to be one who shows himself a proper example to the flock. We see also in this passage, 1 Peter 5, exercising oversight. Right. So this idea of oversight is, is the term overseer. Right. We have the term bishop or episkopos. Right. One of the roles of a shepherd is that he is supposed to oversee. He's supposed to watch over the sheep. Then you have the, the idea of a teacher. 
Many claim that this is one office because the pastor who shepherds the people, his job is to teach them. His job is to feed them with the word of God. His primary role is to teach them and to exhort them. Here we think about the requirements of elder. 1 Peter 3, verse 2, that he must be able to teach because he's a shepherd. He's supposed to give instruction to them. Here also you look at Titus 1.9. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. So here, the idea of teaching is supposed to give sound He's supposed to give instruction in sound doctrine. No, no, no. Hey, hey, hold on. That's not sounding right, right? Uh, that's, not, that's not what we believe. This, this is what we believe, right? He has to be able to correct them with gentleness, right? But with firmness. Also to rebuke those who contradict it, right? So that you, you read in the New Testament, in Corinthians, right? In, in various places, there were people who were causing trouble, right? People who were, were working, but were expecting to be able to, to eat, right? And people who were teaching false doctrines within the church. You think about, did they have problems then? It sure, sure sounded like they did, right? Many of the same problems that we have today, right? Jesus hasn't returned yet. And so life goes on. Here we think about what, uh, what the role of these Old Testament priests were. What we read earlier in Malachi chapter 2, right? True instruction was found in his mouth, right? He was supposed to instruct God's people that he was a messenger of the Lord of hosts, that he caused what well, he was supposed to turn back people from the wrong way, right? And God rebuked the priests because they were causing people to stumble, that his lips were supposed to guard knowledge, that people were supposed to seek instruction from him. Hey, can you help me with this, right? I'm having issues in this relationship. How do I, how do I talk to these people, right, who, who are angry with me? These are all things that we should seek from uh, those who are in charge over us. Here, oftentimes people mention the example of John Calvin. And they think about him as this, this great theologian. This is a bunch of hogwash. <laughs> Not that he wasn't a great theologian. But you know what he was? He was a shepherd. He was a pastor. He, he was one who, who cared for uh, the sick, right? He was one who preached God's word. That, that primarily his role was primarily that of a shepherd, of a pastor. That, that he was a theologian, that was like the byproduct of all of this, right? You, you think about how he, he never said, hey, can I just hold the office? I, I, I have this chair, I sit in my room, and I write all these great books. No, those great books that he wrote, the, this is from his study from preaching the word of God like every day. Sometimes twice, right? And, and you, we wonder, hey, how can you be a shepherd? How, how, can, how can you have all these insights? How can all these things happen unless he's doing the diligent work of caring for God's people? He wasn't an armchair theologian. Here, we think about the government of the church, right? This passage, Ephesians 4, brings up the government of the church. This is why we're studying it also in Sunday school and why it is important. So that's the first point, the gift of officers. We have the second point, the role of officers in verse 12. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Here we see that their, their immediate role is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So they're properly equipped, often translated perfecting, or to say 
home building. They're, they're building up the home. And perhaps in common language, it's called moving people along, right? Hey, we see people, hey, they're, they're kind of stopped right here. Well, we've got to move them along to the next step. And we think about how this equipping people and building them up, preparing them for the work of ministry. This is entirely countercultural, especially today. You, you look at today, common mentality among our young people is described as a failure to launch. Have you heard about this, failure to launch? Right? It usually involves something like uh, particularly young men, not so young, 20s, 30s. They're still living in their parents' attic or basement, right? Uh, they're there to goof off. They should be productive members of society and in the church. But they're freeloading off the parents. Uh, they're called these boomerang kids. They, they go out and things don't go right and they come back, right? And they're very skilled at certain, certain things like playing video games or, or wasting time, right? Uh, 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 very gifted uh, on social media, right? They're very good at prolonging their childhood, at spurning responsibility. The, the list goes on. Here, children, I want you to understand. These are not people you should look up to, right? These, these are people that, that should stick out as bad examples. Okay, don't follow them. But isn't it strange that the same mentality, failure to launch, right? This cavalier mentality towards responsibility and adulthood, that, that same mentality comes right back into the church too. And, and this, this idea of why won't you leave me alone, right? Why won't you leave me alone, right? Here, I, I think about our elder Wayne here. Is he, is he trying to get you to shine his shoes for him and wash his car? I mean, if only you would just shine his shoes like he asked you to do and, and wash his car. Right? If, if ever I ask you to do that for me, okay, there's something wrong. I don't think Wayne has ever asked you to do that. You think about the things that we desire for you. I hope, I hope you realize they come straight out of the Bible, right? That there would be regular attendance in the worship of God. That there would be a care and a love for the people of God, right? That, that you would be built up, equipped to serve, right? And, and here, he like, well, what? I'm not prepared for this. Well, that's part of our role. We're trying to prepare you for it. Hey, but what if I fail? Well, then join the rest of us, right? Join the rest of us, right? We, we try things that we, we're not good at. We fail in it, right? Well, hey, I, I, shared the, I shared the gospel with my neighbor and he cursed me, right? I said, well, hey, join, join the club, right? This is, this is what the Lord Jesus warned us about, right? Well, well, that means I'm not gifted in it. No, no, it doesn't mean you're not gifted in it, <laughs> right? Well, we can look at the specifics, but the, Jesus warns that, hey, they're not going to like this when you tell them, hey, Jesus commands that sinners would repent and believe upon him and that we would forego our own ways and that we would follow him, <laughs> right? Of course the world will be upset about this. Here, this moving people along. You know, I, Think about, think about the way, if you go into a hospital, right? If you go into a hospital, it's never good. You go to an emergency room and you're seen right away, right? And that's, that's not called, hey, I'm special. No, no, that's called, you're in big trouble, right? Because they triage you and say, hey, this guy is very close to dying. I think about that's the same way. Here, Elder Wayne and I often talk, right? This is not what we would say, you know, church gossip, where we're talking to one another, oftentimes we're concerned, right? And you ask yourself, have you ever wondered this? 
how often does your name end up on on the shepherding concern list? Right? Because we're presenting the shepherding concern list to our other elders of these are matters of grave concern, right? We've wept over these people, right? They're not willing to take the next step. We, we see that they've, they've hit a roadblock. And we're getting this, why won't you leave us alone, right? And it's like, hey, uh, I, I'm in need of guidance. This is what I tried. Tell me, what have I done wrong? Hey, you know what? You could have done this differently, but you know what? We see this all the time, right? Trying to persuade people along. Have you ever wondered how often your name is on that list? I've wondered that for myself, meaning times in times past, how often was I on that list of shepherding concerns? Here, the desire is that you would be productive, right? That you would be productive in Christ's church, faithfully serving him. Intake, right? Are you in God's word? Are you in prayer? Are you part of the fellowship? Are, are you present? The output, are you concerned about people who are outside of Christ? Are you believing that Jesus warns us that he who dies, not believing upon Jesus Christ, is condemned for an eternity? Do you, do you believe those warnings that we have? Here we think about the higher role. So immediately it's equipping. The higher role is then for the building up of the body of Christ. Here, oftentimes people think, well, Frank, that's your job. You're trying to get us to do your job. No, part of my job is to get you to do the work of, of ministry, right? So it's not only the minister who's supposed to serve. It's all of God's people who are supposed to serve. <clears throat> Invariably, those who contribute and serve the body of Christ get a greater sense of belonging, a greater sense of commitment, and a greater appreciation for the local church. I've seen, I've seen simple examples about this, that the more someone contributes, the more someone is active in serving and sharing and giving, right, of giving of themselves, the more they see that this is my church and I desire her well-being. And the more that individuals are moving along, and being equipped, the more that the church will thrive. Here, just last night, Melissa was telling me, you often pray for the well-being of people in the church. You should pray that people would thrive. I say, hey, I like that. We ought to pray that God's people would thrive. And that the church would not only have well-being, but that the church would thrive too. Here, there's often pitfalls that the church comes to. It comes to two extremes. One is clericalism, and the other is the entire opposite, anti-clericalism. So clericalism, what is that? Simply put, it's, there's a great chasm between uh, the clergy and the laity, right? The, the clergy are expected to do everything, or from the cleric's perspective, the laity are not allowed to do anything. There's a great chasm. This is wrong. Then there's anti-clericalism, Right, which says, hey, there's no distinctions at all within the membership in the church. And there's no vocational ministers, and there's no leaders, perhaps. This also is wrong. Neither extreme is correct. Right? God has given leadership, government, right, structure, the forms of government, that's all important. But that's not to say that each 
individual Christian, each individual member is, is supposed to be contributing to the life of the church. Here, think back to some of the old missions manuals in the Presbyterian church. This is from the 18th, 19th century, right? That people were, uh, Scottish Presbyterians were bringing the gospel overseas. And some of the lessons learned there that you must train locals to serve and to minister without title or pay. Because here what they see is this foreigner has showed up. He's being paid to do this work. And they look at him and they say, hey, we're not going to do what you do unless we're being paid also. And he says, no, that can't work. It can't work like that. This is part of being self-propagating. You have to train God's people there, the locals, so that they will see this is the church. Right? This, this is the church in your nation, in your country. Right? And you must desire for its propagation. You must be telling others and discipling others in the good news of the gospel. There's also uh, the desire to give to the Lord. Right? Meaning that the church must be self-supporting. And these things must all be true. Right? Self-propagating, self-supporting, and eventually self-governing. So this is the second point, the role of officers. We have the, the third point, the aim of officers in verse 13. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So here, the aim of officers, the aim of every person ought to be the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Here, is it ever going to be the case that uh, someone in the church, uh, they have differing views than us, than the leadership of the church? It can be, right? We're not, when someone becomes a member, we don't require that they agree to everything that we believe, right? This is, this is not, uh, the, the, the church understands that uh, there is maturity that happens. There is growing, right, in our understanding of our Lord Jesus, understanding of the word. So it's understandable that not everyone in the church uh, will believe everything correctly and do everything correctly at one time. Here, this is part of the continuing ministry of the church. The preaching, the teaching, the instructions, the prayer. This is all moving us towards unity in the faith. And then here we have this knowledge of the Son of God. We ask ourselves, what is the purpose of what we're doing? Why are we doing this? Are we, are we trying to build this machine, this fine oil machine? Well, it, it ought to be finely oiled. It ought to run smoothly. But we ought never forget that the goal of all this is the knowledge and worship of the Son of God, the Lord Jesus. Right? John chapter 17, verse, verse 3. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. We must never forget what the goal is, that we might know and understand and love Jesus Christ. Right? If, we, if we lose sight of him, then, then we've completely lost sight of what we're doing and who we are. Think about who Jesus is, the knowledge of the Son of God, that Jesus is the one who was sent by the Father. God sent him on behalf of sinners, that we would be redeemed by his blood, that he came to die the, the death of a cursed criminal. Yet, he indeed is fully God. He is entirely God. He came 
on behalf of sinners so that you and I might have life. He, he laid down his life. He spilled his blood so that you and I would be washed clean. This is the good news of the gospel. And we must never forget it in your progress and my progress. As we're being equipped, as we're being perfected, it's not as if you and I ever move on from this truth. The good news of the gospel. The good news of the gospel is not Jesus came to pay this price and then you could continue living however you want as you were. Jesus came to pay the price. He came to redeem a people of his very own, eager to do good deeds. Right? So that those of you who are in Christ, that you would be saying, this Lord Jesus came. He paid the price to set me free. Now my life entirely belongs to him. How then must I live? That, that's the second half of Ephesians 4 through 6. The one who has paid the price to set you free has a rightful ownership over you and me, and he has the right to command us how we ought to live. And if we're saying, no, he has no claim on me, then the question is, did he pay your price to set you free? That is the right question. Did he pay the price to set you free? That it should be joy for us to follow him. Follow him in opposition. That there will be ridicule. There'll be mockery. Hey, how can you believe such a thing? The whole world believes this. You're the only idiot who doesn't believe it. Yeah, how often have we heard that? Hey, you know what? You're completely old-fashioned. What, what, what century do you live in? Hey, do you realize that these are all statements I've heard many times before, right? What century do you live in, Frank? Huh? Here, you think about the life of a Christian. Unless he has a heart for the Lord Jesus, unless he has a heart of humble submission, then what we're talking about is a stunted Christian, or we're talking about a stillborn Christian, which can never be. Here, the Apostle Paul describes a mature manhood until we attain to the unity of faith, of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood. Here, the word is actually male, to, to a mature male. Here, understand that for the Greeks, they, they saw the, the, the man as like this is the ideal form, right? And in a contrast, they have him in the next verse so that we may no longer be children, right? So he's saying, hey, instead of being children, we ought to be mature. So, so the, the weak knees, right, the, 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 the skull, the, the pieces of the skull have to form, right, not, not the soft of a child. And you think about the arms and the legs and the body of a man. He, we ought to desire maturity, right? This is what you children want, right? It's, it's, you, you want all the privileges of adulthood, right? But here, you think about, you have the privileges of adulthood, but it goes along with strength. And it goes along with, with uh, wisdom. Those go together, and to desire mature manhood is that we would no longer be children tossed here and there by the winds of doctrine. Here we think about these duties and responsibilities in the home. Even little children are given responsibilities, tasks, chores in the home. That this is part of their training. And you and I all know it's much faster if we do it ourselves, right? But you train up children, it takes time, 
the floor is not going to remain clean and, and spotless. It's going to have to be cleaned several times a day, right? But that's part of the training. So also within the church, we acknowledge, well, hey, it's not going to be done perfectly. That's how life is. We don't do things perfectly. But here, we think about this measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Here, we come back again to this fullness of Christ, that he might fill all things. So why did Christ come? <clears throat> he to die on behalf of his sheep. And his sheep are those who follow him. Here we think about what a great thing it is that we would be presented perfect when Jesus returns. Isn't it a good thing that we should desire commendation? That when, when we die and that we face the Lord Jesus, that there would be commendation, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been trustworthy with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Isn't this how we ought to live and the decisions that we make each day that it should be, hey, we should desire this commendation before our God. That presenting God's people is perfect, right? Here, Wayne, you don't think highly enough of me, right? So what I'm getting from you, Wayne, is you don't think highly enough of me because you're telling me I need to change, right? Right? Well, hey, this is part of maturity, right? Hey, let's get past this. You don't think highly enough of me, right? Let's get to this. Hey, where do we ought to? Where should we be, right? Where where ought we to be, right? And approaching people, okay. Well, convincing them there's a need for change, right? It's not because I said so or Wayne said so. It's because the Lord says so. We're not we're not arrived. Here we think about for those who are shepherds. It's a reminder to us. It's a fine work that we desire to do. And for those who aspire to be shepherds, it's a fine work that you aspire to do. And no one said it's an easy task. Because I would ask you, what worthy task is easy? And the answer is none. I ask you, people of God, what is your role in the church? It's certainly not as a spectator. Because we're not here as spectators. The Lord has called us to be disciples. You think about the ministry of the preaching, the teaching, the praying, the exhorting, the correcting. These are all for your equipping for ministry. You and I have a duty to know God and his word. You think about how, for some people, a simple encouragement. Okay, it's just you and me. Let's pray together. How about you pray for us? I can't do that. Well, that's got to change, right? There's got to be willingness, part of the training. Hey, how, how are you going to lead your family in prayer if you can't pray with another? How can you minister to someone else? How can you minister to someone else who's hurting, who's in trouble, if you can't pray for them because you can't pray other than silently before God? These are all tools in your toolbox. The challenge, the instruction, the, the goading on for you to do Something different, coming out of your comfort zone. Here, the Christian life, there's a requirement that you and I come out of our comfort zones. Precisely because we're trusting, trusting in the Lord. I'm going to do something, and it might fail. Well, then, you come to a greater dependence upon our God. You come to pray more, and you realize, it's not because I do things perfectly that people grow and are saved. No. It's because God has chosen to use broken vessels such as us and that he magnifies his glory when things are done well and to his glory. 
who realize that we do things imperfectly, of course. But the Lord Jesus is one who always receives the glory for what happens in his church. May we go to our God together in prayer.